We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. This crusade, this war on terrorism, uh, is going to take a while. He came, he saw, he died. <laughs> we tortured some folks. All right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dave versus Goliath. This is episode five, and we got a special one today. Guys, I got my first guest on the show. He's a friend of mine. He's a true maverick. He's a revolutionary. He's a good man. He is the founder of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. He is the great Michael Heiss. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Dude, it is an honor to have you. Thank you, man. You're my very, very first guest on episode five of the show. So yeah, you're the, you're patient zero, man. Thank you. Yeah, that that is etched in like the blockchain, dude. That's great. That's right, man. <laughs> I appreciate it, dude. I think we got to start at the beginning. So for my viewers, if there are any, and for the people who don't know you, tell us, uh, tell us what was your red pill moment, man. How'd you get your start in all this madness? So the red pill moment for me, like obviously I'm known for, like I would say the main thing I'm known for is like obviously the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, but like I was red pilled before I was explicitly libertarian, although I would always, I would say I was always a liberty guy even when I was red, like first got red pilled. Um, the, the thing that originally red pilled me, honestly, was Loose Change, uh, the, the documentary Loose Change My man. Um, with, uh, with 9-11 Truth. And uh, I guess it's just my personality type, but I, I, I started watching that stuff and I was in high school at the time and I remember pretty much taking that stuff with me to high school and, um, you know, talking to people about it and, and talking about all the different aspects of it and, you know, jet fuel can't melt steel beams and all this <laughs> stuff. And, and uh, you know, basically people would tell me I'm crazy and I'm kind of a stubborn person. So I'd be like, I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think I'm crazy. And uh, so I, I basically just would double down and start reading more and watching more documentaries and cross-referencing more things. And like, and, and eventually it got to the point where, you know, I, I came in and, and I would, you know, be going into it. And a, after a couple of months of me doing my own research and then still being told I'm crazy, I'm like, well, how much fucking time are you putting in? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause, cause I'm putting in some time. And it, and I would say some of my first act, like first acts of activism emerged out of that. Cause like at the time you could create Facebook pages that like the name was anything, you know what I mean? Like you, 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 you could have anonymous accounts and stuff like that. So like I actually created a Facebook account that was called nine 11 was, and then last name and inside job. And I basically made this anonymous page and, uh, I started creating my own notes you know, like my own study notes and stuff like that. And I don't know if you remember documents on, on Facebook, they're still there, but they're useless. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
And so I would, I would create my own notes and put that stuff forward. And I would post documentaries. I would post news stories. I would post just everything related to that topic. And I did it for man, a couple of years until some of my friends was like, that's you, isn't it? Because <laughs> I was doing this stuff and then basically going in and friend requesting a bunch of people from school and trying to be like anonymous. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's and <laughs> how come so, you don't want to be known? Oh, because I was trying to, it's like the Batman thing. You know what I mean? Like right. I was trying to, to be an idea. Like, oh, I you know, it. you can, you can tell, you can tell Michael Heiss he's crazy, but you can't tell. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, buddy. Yeah. I would say it started with that, with, with that. And, um, I remember the, the, the documentary in 2008, uh, freedom to fascism. And that was like another one, like another step in the whole thing. And I, same thing. I started debating, you know, my coworkers and shit about the, uh, the, the legality of the income tax and, and all of that. And I think it might've been freedom to fascism where I first saw Ron Paul, but I didn't know who he was. And uh, I would say in 2008, um, I remember seeing a YouTube video. Uh, it was like a mishmash. It was like a mashup of Ron Paul clips from 2008 uh, as the campaign was going on, and it was set to uh, uh, Don McLean's "American Pie." Hmm. And that's when I first got into Ron Paul, and I first got into more libertarian ideas. Um, I encountered Ron Paul in the 08 campaign, but I didn't know anybody, and like the world is so different. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was a kid, I was living at home. It was like, the situation was like, we had a computer in the living room that we all used that had dial up oh, yeah. internet. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, so the, the networks and the communities and stuff weren't like that. And even if they were, I didn't know where the hell to go. Like, I remember at the time, my buddy Kyle worked at Udo's and he was like, yeah, man, there was all these guys that came in and they were all about Ron Paul. And I'm like, you talk to him? He's like, no. And I'm like, what the hell? Turns out it was a meetup group, and I, we didn't know what the hell meetup was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And um, so fast forward, you know, I, I kind of go further down the Ron Paul thing, and I go further down, you know, some of the, the conspiracy theory, Alex Jones stuff. I was an Alex Jones, like, InfoWars listener for a really long time. And, you know, people forget, like, we're, we're, we're spoiled now. You know, like, people yeah. forget that, like, in the early 2000s, and, like, I would say even through to 2012, it's not like today where there's the, the libertarian podcast market is completely oversaturated. Yeah. That was a ridiculous, absurd idea back then. It was basically Alex Jones, Bill Cooper, if you were real hardcore, um, and and that's it. Like there wasn't really that much stuff. And yeah. um, and he gave Ron Paul, I'd say, a considerable amount of time. Oh yeah. So were you were you around for the whole? ron paul revolution of 2008 or was it a little bit after that or was it like it was more like uh, not the whole thing no and it was it was very much so a sideline thing at that too. point because okay. i was kind of where i was at the time too i don't know if i was ready for that i was still hating george bush and the republican party and right kind of, I, I, kind of I, to the left a little bit and i was more conspiratorial than i was political and Me i was too. also i i graduated that year from high school um, I was extremely angry and depressed at the time. So like yeah. I was kind of locked up in my own head More and, common um, denominators there, my friend, I'm yep, taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, so as time went on, we kind of get into the 2011 time where it was like, Ron's going to run again. Right. And, and I remember like hearing about it, that he was going to run again before he ran. And I remember thinking, we have to do something this time. Like we, we have to do something. So, 
you know, what, <laughs> what we did is we were, I mean, you got to understand like my friends, I wasn't really into this, but I went with them. Like my friends were like graffiti artists and shit. You know what I mean? Like we would go out at two in the morning and like hit bridges and st- stuff like that. You know what I mean? So what we did is I just remember getting like, like literally going out behind Kmart, getting cardboard boxes, breaking them down, um, spray painting like end the fed on them or infowars.com on them and putting them in trees around town in Thorndale, Pennsylvania. So like our, our, our backyards, there was like a hill and then a highway up at the top of that hill. And uh, so it got to the point where my buddy Kyle got these three like six by six pieces of wood and posted them up along the highway. And it was like infowars.com. And what ended up happening is our, our mutual friend, Keith, he was driving down the highway one day. Uh, he saw that, that those three signs uh, and he came up in a crazy, like crazy truth household too. And um, he got off at the next exit found his way to the road that I lived on that ran parallel with that um, with that highway and then he stopped at my buddy's Kyle's house parked there and said well the guy with the guy with that huge garden out in his front yard has got to be the guy that that <laughs> you know and sure enough it was and uh, so we met Keith and we thought he was a fed and 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 I mean, cause seriously, think about it. Some random right. guy knocks. A, yeah. Hey, fellow kids. I noticed you. Were <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I asked him, like, I remember asking him, like, are you a fed? And he thought that was just hilarious. He was like, you guys are the real deal. It's a great, it's and, a great first question. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he ended up taking us to this dude's house. who was like the head of the Ron Paul meetup crew, uh, in, in the County. And, uh, that's where I got more involved with that. And that's why I started doing like there's still old videos of me like bullhorning on the side of the highway, at, like, like big intersections and, well, and shit like that. Let's take a detour right there, man. That's how I met you in the yeah. great city of Philadelphia during the Occupy Wall Street days. You were down in the middle of the park there when all the tents were out uh, with your bullhorn that I'm pretty sure had revolution on one side and infowars on the other pretty sure i could be wrong on that i still got it up there yeah okay bam (laughs) yeah this is great it's signed it's signed by alex jones and ron paul (laughs) holy shit dude yeah you you got it man um so yeah that's where we met i saw you yelling about and the fed and this was when i had just i think maybe started to really take interest in ron paul and and libertarianism because i think i was looking after years like you said of being uh, in that cons- conspiratorial uh, space and, you know, just angry at, you know, the man or the machine. It was ready to, like, right. put some names and faces on these people and understand some And some philosophies to it, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was the necessary next step. So that's why I think, man, this is, this is why... And I, when people ask me, I know this is not the technical term, they ask me, okay, tell me what's, what's, the, what's the difference between the Mises Caucus... And the rest of the Libertarian Party or the other caucuses, and I just say Red Pills and Ron Paul, and I know that's definitely not in the description. And there's other ways you could you could talk about it, and the, you know your roots. It's not inaccurate. It's not. Here's where things got really crazy in the story: is I met Keith, um, and and at the same time that I met Keith, like I said, at this point, me and my buddy Kyle, it was really only us for like ever, and and um, we knew we had to do something this time around. And I actually have one video the first time I ever bullhorned, period. 
like me and Kyle got a bullhorn, drove down to Philly, and we were out in front of the uh, the Federal Reserve building, and I was bullhorning the First Amendment Center about the Federal Reserve. And you can tell I was green because as soon as one of the security guards wa- uh, walks up, I stop. Yeah, you know I mean, like, and right. I'm, I'm scared and shit, and you understood. You know, yeah. Well, no, I didn't. I actually didn't understand anything yet. I was scared, and I and, mean, you, and you understood. I under. see. Yeah. 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 Hashtag yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, over, I didn't get to overstand yet. That's yeah. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. So did that kind of stuff, and then that was like the first end the Fed that I did, if you even want to call it that. And then I remember setting up another end the Fed, um, and maybe at that time, maybe eight people came out. Um, and then I also, then I did another one and then there was like 50 people at that one. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I, well, and it was completely random. You know what I mean? Like from my perspective and, and turns out, so it turns out what I bumped into was, um, there was this underground world of activists and called truth, freedom, prosperity that was headed up by a dude named Michael Salvi. And uh, really, quick, it was just this... Michael Salvi is the reason that I did not put liberty or libertarian in the name of my podcast because yeah. he said, "Yeah, I just saw him say one time his podcast was called Mike Salvi's World," and he was like, "I only have to answer for me." And I was like, "That makes really great sense, especially in our community, man, where everybody is like, no, I don't think you're the, re- you know, you're not the thing.' Yeah, Pfft, I'm Dave, baby. Yeah, I'm just talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> and it. and. Truth, freedom, prosperity was awesome, man. Because it, it, like, you had James Babb in there, you had uh, Mark Passio in there, you had Mike Salvi in there. There was this crazy mishmash of like survivalists and Tesla freaks and small L libertarians and conspiracy theorists and and like it was just this weird like hippies like like it was just this weird mishmash of people that we all came together and then that all, all that energy was focused into Ron Paul and that was the first time that I ever got networked. So fast forward, we're in uh, Occupy Philly. We had the Ron Paul tent. So we, I meet up with that underground crew. We ended up having a Ron Paul tent in some of the best ground space in Occupy Philly. Met a lot more people. That's where I met N.A. Poe um, and, yeah. and a whole bunch of people. And at that time, again, I was so green that I didn't understand left and right. I didn't understand that this was like a totally opposed movement to what I was at the time. I just knew that at one point they shat in our tent. And I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who shat in your tent? Some commie. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know who. It, so it was like we had survivalists with us. So like these people were all in like cheap Kmart tents, and we had like a built-to-code wooden structure with like kerosene so and you shit. You weren't meant. You weren't meant to blend in there. It was like the Ron Paul tent, the end the Fed tent, and then the rest. Oh of the yeah, tent. right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And but but they couldn't really do anything because the same survivalist that built the two-code thing, the structure, um, was like somehow supplying them with like a shitload of food. You know what I mean? Like and and uh, you know he had his own networks and basically. We were running shifts. Like I was working and going to school during the week and then living on the streets in the weekend, talking to people, talking about the Federal Reserve and Ron Paul and all this shit um, and inviting people into our, our structure and having tea and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's it. You guys invited us in for tea. We talked about it in the Fed and Ron Paul. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we had shifts. And basically one night, one guy got caught alone. So we had the structure and then we had another tent where if somebody needed to sleep, they could. He went to sleep. Commies came in, stole all of our shit, and shat in the tent. Oh. Like, shat in the structure. So, like, yeah. 
That's why we can't have nice things in the middle of the Yeah, city. yeah, fuck commies, dude. And yeah. and uh, That was my first introduction to that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And ever um, since then, I've been like, fuck commies. Um, so then towards the end of the whole Ron Paul thing, I organized a nationwide and the Fed rally at all of the Federal Reserve branches and sub-branches combined at the same time. And it was like live streamed out of most of them. I remember I got a video um, by from Stefan Molyneux about the Federal Reserve at that time. And, uh, you know, he... Things were a little different with him <laughs> at the time, sure. and and uh, and yeah, so that got me. And I landed an interview with Ron Paul right before he left office, you know. And I kind of asked him about nine eleven truth, and I asked him about anarchism, and that's kind of where I became an anarchist. And uh, so then, from like two thousand thirteen, like right after that interview, to I would say about two thousand. Well, I guess how long was it? Basically, I kind of drifted at that point. I did some cop blocking. I did some podcasting. Uh, I did some. You were, on you know, man with, on the uh, street. You were on with Adam Kokesh there for a, a while, right? Yeah, I, I lived with Kokesh for, for at the at the end of 2012 to like March of 2013, um, when he was when like uh, Adam versus the man was like at its peak. Yeah, I and gotta, we got to give it up to him for just a second, regardless of what you think about him now, anybody or whatever. I mean, that's. That was pretty the, the, foundational. The dance, the dance party at TJ's video, Dude, man. Dude, that was one of the gr- the greatest things I've ever seen online. Yeah. So shout out to Adam Kokesh for that. We need more content like that still. Um. So then, then yeah. So I kind of, like I said, I kind of just drifted. I took, as I call it, the shotgun approach. I did some cop blocking. I did some writing. I did some podcasting. I did some man on the street stuff. And just did this for a while until about 2014, maybe? Um. 2014, I basically had like a personal tragedy befall me, and it just took me out of the game for like a year and a half. Like I, I just didn't have the heart. And um, when I came back, is as we were starting to get into the 2015 election cycle, like just the very beginning. Like I remember, I was going to write a series of articles on, like it was going to be called "The Dirt on Blank," and the idea was to go on all of the candidates, so like the dirt on Trump, even the dirt on Rand. And, and everything. But ultimately, I was hoping that Rand Paul would be able to recapture the magic of, of the Ron Paul thing. That absolutely did not happen. Uh, and uh, it, it, it just, yeah, what's that? That was sad. Yeah, it did not work out at all. And uh, he just, he, he, did, he missed all of his opportunities and he didn't understand the moment, like in the way that he tried to oppose Trump and it didn't work. It just didn't work. And, um, so once that fizzled out and we're only at the beginning of the campaign cycle, it's like, well, what the fuck do I do now? You know, and I never en- actually entertained the idea of the Libertarian Party before that, because like most other libertarians, I was like, well, it's a fucking joke. Right. It's dumb. You know what I mean? Like, you know, all that stuff. So I said, all right, well, I guess I'll check it out. I don't know. And, and at this time, as I was easing my way back into things, I knew I didn't want to do the shotgun approach anymore. Like I knew I wanted to pick something i didn't know what it was but i wanted to pick something and stick with it long term and just make that the thing and uh so came into the party i i supported uh john mcafee in the primary um me too and yeah yeah i would say his those campaign videos that judd weiss made are still like really really good 
Um, and he was the most radical. I mean, he really went off the reservation after that cycle, but he was the most radical. He was the most consistent. He was the most bold. He was all the things that I look for. Not perfect. But I, once, once Johnson was officially in the race, I supported McAfee, but I knew it was going to be Johnson. Right. He's the, like, I think everyone kind of knew it was going to be Johnson. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I was just kind of 2012, right? In, yes. in Tampa. Right, that yes. was my first experience with Gary Johnson was at the end of that weekend where we all knew it wasn't going to be Ron Paul and they stole it from him. The Libertarian Party had a tent at that festival and Gary Johnson got to give a speech that was like, when you're done with your revolution, I'd certainly enjoy your vote. Because yeah, I remember his thing was like, be libertarian, like, like be libertarian with me once. I, I remember I that. I did it was twice. A big thing. I, rem <laughs> I remember, Lou, I remember Lou, that was the first time I ever saw Lou Rockwell was at Paul Fest, and I didn't know who he was at that point, and that's when I kind of started going down the more Mises Institute um, uh, rabbit hole, and um, yeah, that Paul Fest, uh, down, down in Tampa, dude, that was when I had my first uh, uh, Secret Service encounter. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, they were all over the place. Yeah, I've had two Secret Service encounters and an FBI encounter. <laughs> I remember you told me about the... What was the FBI one about? Was that a tweet you made or a, a Facebook that post? Was, yeah, that was a Facebook post. That was a Facebook post. They showed up to my house not long after I got back from Kokesh's and they talked to my dad. And uh, I was not going down to the, the office. You know what I mean? So I <laughs> called him I called him back and I actually have the phone call with that, with that FBI agent on YouTube from back in the day. And basically the way I was going to handle it is I'm going to call this guy, I'm going to tell him I'm recording... Uh, if he's okay with that, I'm probably okay, and and we'll just see how it goes. If he's not okay with that, I'm immediately hanging up, and, and uh, we have to get a lawyer, and this is not good. Um, and he was okay with it. So, um, but yeah, it was just about a, a Facebook post that I made <laughs> promoting an end the Fed rally and a smoke down prohibition, which is basically uh, a weed civil disobedience event, like an open get high at the First Amendment Center event going on in the same day. And Those they came to my house. Really successful in Philly, man. Shout out yeah, to Poe for that, and all you guys for putting in that that's, work, man. That's why you got. Oh, it wasn't me, man. That was that was all Poe and um, Les Stark and Mike Whiter and all those guys. That right, yeah. I uh, yeah, I haven't really uh, kept in touch with with those guys, but yeah, that was all them. I was just there. Um, I have a video screaming at the cops from one of those, calling them Nazis. It's pretty <laughs> embarrassing now. Um, you know, like, like well, I mean, screaming. Everybody was like, throwing that around. That's you know, it actually yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. In hindsight, it's it's embarrassing because I really lost lost it. I'm surprised I didn't get arrested. Um, but I mean, dude, they sick fucking riot police on us at a weed civil disobedience event. Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so fast forward, Rand Paul fizzles out, not working. Don't know what to do. I'm dipping my toe into the LP and. Uh, the first sign that this might work for me was I put together a and the Fed rally, which we have a rich history of doing and the Fed rallies in front of the Federal Reserve Building in Philly. Mm -hmm. uh, this was in 2017 now. And um, I had never, like we had done a whole bunch of them, but we never tied it to the LP or anything like that. So I had Dale Kearns, who was running for Senate, host it. I had Larry Sharp out. I had Kokesh yep. out. I had Murray Sabrin, who is... Uh, I mean, Murray Saban knew Rothbard. Like, he was friends with Rothbard. Uh, he's, he's an OG in the movement, uh, author, professor, um, just a great guy. Um, and uh, brought him out. I had never met him before. We had Keith talk about Bitcoin and crypto. And, like, 300 people showed up. 
And oh, I was yeah. like, oh. I was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was a good that, that was where Phil Levante came out. It was beautiful. From All That Remains. Yep. And, and, um, I, and I remember thinking, huh, maybe this can work. And uh, I had been tossing around the idea of the Mises Caucus for a while. And, and it was almost just the Ron Paul Caucus. That's what I, that was like, yeah, that's my vote. Because, but again, I had never heard the name Mises before. You had to introduce me to a lot of names, man. Ron Paul captures the energy I'm going for probably better than, than Mises, but there'd be no Mises, or I'm sorry, there'd be no Roth, Jesus, there'd be no Ron Paul without Mises. And Ron Paul personally right. says that in some of these old pamphlets that he wrote. And I mean, he, in one of these old pamphlets, he talks about how one of Mises' last in-person speeches, Ron drove like six hours to attend, and that was it. I think there's actually audio of that out there. Nice. Um, and, uh, you know, he actually credited Mises, the example of Mises' character and the confidence that he, it, that he gained in the Austrian school itself, he said, is what kept him sane <laughs> all those years, uh, you know, in the daily circus, as he put it, in, in Washington. Yeah. Um, so at that point, it was just kind of an idea I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or even how to do it. I've never been in, I've never been politically involved. You know, like even when I was doing Ron Paul shit, I wasn't involved with the campaign. I was involved in this underground crew yeah. that was like adjacent to the campaign. Sure. Yeah. And, um, so I didn't know what I was doing. And then as fate would have it the same day that I said, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make this Facebook group. The chair of the party calls Tom Woods and the Mises Institute Nazis. And so I wake up the next day and there's like 600 people in the Facebook group organically. I didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, wow. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of been how this whole experience has been. It's just like providential shit right. keeps happening. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, that was, an, I got to tell you, man, that was a motivator for me when you call, you called one day and you were like, yeah, man, have you ever thought about getting involved with the Libertarian Party? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. And I just assumed that it was filled with Ron Paul heads because that's all I had known about libertarianism. And you were like, no, man, have you ever heard of a guy named Nick Sarwark? And I was like, nope, which I should have because I was, I was calling myself a libertarian, but I didn't know this guy who had been whatever, leading the party for four years, I'm sure, at that point. Oh, yeah, man, he's fucking talking shit on Tom Woods. Ron Paul, like, you got to be kidding me. The, the leader of the libertarian party? That makes no sense. So yeah, I found, I found that just absolutely oh, sweet, sweet naivety. Right? Oh man, I was like, "Well, dude, they're called the Libertarian Party, so I'm pretty sure that that party's going to be ethical and moral, and everything's going to be pretty sweet in there." Yeah, yeah, I, I was expecting the same thing, and then it's like, "Oh, you hate me because I'm a Ron Paul guy? Like this is absurd." Right? <laughs> you know, and I remember, I remember when that all first started. I Nick Sarwark was actually in the Facebook group at the beginning. And I, and I remember he was pretty call, like quick to to reach out to me and get my number. And I remember being like, dude, this isn't like a hater club. It's this, this, and this. Look, join the group. You'll see. It's like, you know. Wow, and that's more diplomacy than I thought was ever there. That's pretty nice. I mean, this is the very, very beginning. This yeah. is before I knew. You know, I knew we, it didn't take long before I realized he was like reptilian. But, but uh, I didn't know at that point. And... Um, yeah, so I, I was really trying. I'm the new guy on the block. I don't know who the fuck anybody is. I, you know, I'm just finding my way. And and 
the, the chair of the party is taking an interest in this little Facebook group that I'm doing. And you know what I mean? Like it's, that must've been pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. I mean, I, 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 yeah. And then, and then I saw how he was and he was booted from the group and, and yeah. <laughs> right. And then Josh went after him, right? Was that pretty much how the, the order of operations did Josh start to run for chair? Uh, we, we didn't, we didn't really get behind Josh at first actually. Cause I kept trying to, as I termed it, throw these hail Marys. Like there was a whole bunch of cool shit that happened right at the beginning, and like, like again, our our mutual friend Keith, he was actually a big part of he he gave me some opportunities that ended up really helping to blow this thing up and helping me network. Like, uh, you know, I I got the opportunity to go to the Mises thirty fifth anniversary event in New York. Now that wasn't Keith, but um, he got me to go out to the um, the Nexus conference in Aspen, and that's I met Judge Knapp, I met Ron Paul, I met Jesse Ventura, I met all these people. And, and I pitched it to them and it's really, in hindsight, it's kind of absurd because it wasn't anything at the time, like at all. It was just an idea that I was passionate about and people entertained it. Like I was serious. Like I remember I, I reached out to Pat Byrne. I didn't even, uh, who is the former CEO of Overstock. We weren't a pack or anything like that at that point. I didn't even ask him for money and he just sent us five grand. Hmm. Amazing. And yeah, and I'm like, wow, what is happening? And 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 yeah, so it just kept going and going and going. And and the more like I, I don't know how else to describe it other than to say that this whole thing has felt like there is a path opening up in front of me and I'm trying to run down it, and the more I run down it, the more it opens up. Yeah. And 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 so the more that oh, oh <laughs> you know, and it just keeps opening up and and as long as I have faith in that it seems to actually happen which is really weird and you know we could start getting into the peterson thing at some point because that was you know if ron paul was was the number the the first big 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 influence on me and, and inspiration and everything jordan peterson is certainly the the second right and you have met him too that's correct i have met him and i i actually well i shouldn't say i can't say that he <laughs> i almost spilled some information i can't Oh. You'll see that it'll it'll come out it'll come That's out right. in, the, in the it'll come out soon enough. I'm gonna need that exclusive. Like like Jordan Peterson is not a liberty guy. He does espouse right. liberty, like like he, but libertarianism or or liberty is not his primary thing. Right. In fact, he he is a, a an opponent to ideology generally. Um, but he does openly identify as a he calls himself a British classical liberal. You know. And what's, and what's so he's pro- part of that. Do you know? Like John Locke, all that shit. You know what I mean? Like just the tradition of, of classical liberalism and the thinkers emerge there. Um, but um, so yeah, he um, he's not a liberty guy, even though he does espouse libertarian. Like, well, I don't want to say libertarianism, liberty ideals. You know, he is an absolute proponent of the sovereignty of the individual. He's an absolute proponent for free speech. Even as a Canadian, he's a proponent of the people should be equally armed to the military. Um, you know, all these little things. Um, he just doesn't espouse the ideology because he is a, a kind of an opponent to ideology generally. Um, and I, and I, that's something I've really learned because one of the worst things that I've learned through the whole Jordan Peterson thing is like the concept of ideological possession. Cause it's one of those things that now that I understand I can see it everywhere, and I saw it in myself in the past. Like, I was totally an ideolo- ideologue when I was doing the co shit. 
I was oversimplifying my worldview to fit my ideology. So therefore I could sound like I had an answer to everything and, and, and it's not that simple. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not that simple, you know, cause in some way it, it's, it's, it's almost paradoxical. I've thought about this is libertarianism an ideology or is it a true statement on the nature of, of human interaction and the order that emerges out of, uh, uh, the chaos when people are free to, and I think it's a little bit of both, right? You Dave, know, Dave but if Smith you said, um, I'll never forget it, man. And this is probably going back a hundred or more shows. He goes, libertarianism is beautiful in its simplicity, but it doesn't tell you how to treat your girlfriend other than don't hit her. Right. So there's so much more to life, meaning it's a beautiful legal philosophy. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have a lot more to learn. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, your political philosophy is only one part of your worldview. Right. And, and don't get another thing that. that's been right. And there's, there's another thing that I've learned is that people, people act out other things than their political philosophy in greater priority than their political philosophy. Like people their act out their preferences, their cultural preferences and their biases and stuff like that. And, and so you have to try to figure out how to navigate that in a way that is maximizing to the freedom message. Right. And and it's it's so interesting because like basically in a nutshell that was the point that Jeff Dice was trying to make with this speech that he did a few years ago where at the end I mean it's a completely common sense point like he at the end and he got so much shit for it where he was like uh, with the whole blood and soil thing yeah um, all he said was that you know we have to take account for the fact that blood and soil and God and country matter to people or as to say you know. People aren't self-immolating for weed legalization. You know, people aren't saying, Allah Akbar, explode, lower taxes. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's just not the shit that motivates people on that extremely deep level to, to get to that point. The shit that moves people is their family, their culture, the country, their religion. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, that is kind of clear going back through through time, you know, and um, we have to take that into account if we want to appeal to real people and not just like nerds like us. And and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think it's common sense. Of course, it was twisted to try to attack him for nothing, but um, but yeah, I think it's absolutely common sense. So, should we be as libertarians? Should we be engaging in the culture war more then? Depends on what you mean by it. I think we have to engage in it to the extent that it is real, that real people are in it. They're speaking their ideas through the filter of their cultural preferences. Um, and we have to deal with that. So I don't think, I think we have to engage in it, but we don't have to pick a side. Right. We have to, we, and, and, and I totally agree with Dave Smith on this. Um, we have to point out how the culture war that they're so worried about is being fueled by the centrality of power that the government has. And, and basically that the culture war is a political war, you know, because again, people don't, I remember when I like, when, when I was an idiot libertarian, like a, a nude libertarian and I was like, yeah, yeah, the left and the right don't exist. Uh, that's fake. Um, that's not true. There's actually, there's actually huge overlap in, um, political, like, uh, like political mindset orientation, like political, or uh, so like worldview, political orientation, and personality type are all 
closely related. I believe it. And, and, um, that's rough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. And, um, cause it's, it's, cause we want to simplify it and just say, oh, well, if we just deal with the ideas, you know, we can win. And that's true. But there's the, the shape, the filter that you have to put on the ideas because again, people are speaking their ideas, but they're not speaking their ideas as if that's their primary value. They're speaking their ideas through the filter of their cultural preferences and shit like that because people act that out in higher priority than their political philosophy. You know, like that's, and, and, and that's why a big reason why I think you see the left is obsessed with power and then the right is full of shit because the right is more worried about beating the left regardless of how hollow the victory is than actually achieving small government or conserving anything. They haven't conserved right. anything in over 60 years. And, and uh, whereas the left, so like the left, their ideas are animated by their, their, well, I think this is true across the board, but their ideas are animated by their emotional positions. So like Mises has this book, The Anti-Capitalistic Mentality, and and going to oversimplify here, but I'm sure you've heard the phrase like socialism is is animated by envy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you step back for a second, that's true, but if you step back for a second, there's a point that's in that statement that we take for granted that's really important, which is to say ideologies are animated by underlying attitudinal or emotional dispositions. Right. And that's what the governments so, take advantage of, and that's why they try to influence culture. Right. right? Okay. Right. Well, because, again, people care more about the culture. So if you right. can lead the culture like with a breadcrumb trail in order to get the, the desired political ends that you want, and that's how you can, like, one of the ways that you control society, then that's what they do. What has happened in so many years of this happening is now there's so much power in the, in the hands of the executive branch, regardless of who it is, that for one culture side and personality type side or whatever to, to lose that is almost like an existential crisis because politics has become so central to our society. Right. And, and so that's what the culture war is. It's two people battling, not it's like a mutual hostage situation. Like it's two, it's two groups of people battling to not be the cultural minority as dictated by who holds the power. Right. It took a while to get there, but we're definitely there. Yeah. So uh, catch me up to speed. So in present day, four years after you started this caucus. Three and uh, a half. Three and a half. Excuse me. Yeah. Summer, right? Of, of August. 2017. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure I was in there day one, maybe day two. Well, to back up a little bit, like you said, so we, we started in late 2017 and then 2018 was our first convention. So essentially we went from zero to, I think it was like 22% of the delegation uh, in twenty in twenty eighteen, the first time that Josh ran, yeah, um, that's huge. And I mean, then, first time around, hi, we're the Mises Caucus, twenty two percent of the delegation. Is that right? Right. Oh. And and keep in mind, there was no pack. There was no even like idea of a pack. Um, the concept, like, honestly, I don't even remember what the hell we were doing back then. In some case, like because I remember we wanted to do like state organizers, but it was a lot of time and a lot of work and. And, and, and I remember saying, after we lost, I, I think I even made a post on Facebook where I said, all right, here's where I failed. And I knew that the state organizer thing was the thing, like that that was, 
that was the thing that we have to get straight. Um, so like from 18 to 20, we did that, but it was, it's, it was really, really hard to like get these organizers to work the back end and work the system. And, and I was one of those the organizers that was hard to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair enough. And it was, a, it was a wide scale thing, dude. I think it was like something like only a quarter of the organizers were actually organizing. Um, and, uh, so by the time we got to the 2020 convention, even though it was only a quarter of the organizers were organizing, we produced a 40% result. Um, and I think our email list was at like 35 or 3,700 people at that time as well. Um, so I, we did so much better than we thought we were going to do, given the circumstances. I thought we were going to get completely like railroaded by corruption. I thought it was going to be a massacre. I was really, I was really not feeling good when I got on the plane to go down to Orlando for that um, at all. Like I, I was more, I was already thinking about how am I going to keep this together? How am I going to keep the morale together um, before we even got to the convention? Um, and got to the convention, Josh lost, but he lost 60, 40, which is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we went from zero to 22, 22 to 40. Um, the car, and at that point, the pack was brand new. Like we're coming up on two years. Yeah. Two years. I think that the pack was filed. Um, you know, we, we had maybe a $17,000 budget on like getting materials around the country and getting Airbnbs and the whole mobilization effort. Um, and that produced a 40% result, but then we got a whole bunch of other victories. This is something that the trackers don't want to admit. It's like, oh, you lose everything. It's like, we didn't lose Karen Ann Harless. We didn't lose Ken Roman. We didn't lose Eric Rodsep. We didn't lose, uh, uh, there's oh, at least one or two others. Almost got Jacob Lamont. Um, Vice chair. Yeah, we got like four or five victories. We got everybody but one on the judicial committee that we had voted for. And, you know, we slapped back some some socialist stuff and uh, we had more victories than they thought. And but what, what really dawned on me in 2020 was um, so the night that Josh lost, that was the only piece of business that was handled that whole day. It was absolutely ridiculous how that convention went down. That The chairs race was the only piece of business that whole day. Meaning there was no indication that things were going to go well the next day. Right. You know what I mean? Like as we get to the rest of the business, that's kind of where my mind was at. And um, so we threw a big party at one of our Airbnbs and I get there and I'm, again, I'm not feeling too good. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know how the morale is going to be, blah, blah, blah. And um People are have people are having a great fucking time. People are you know people are doing drinking drinking games. Shit's li like live and nobody was upset. You know there wasn't anybody saying oh I wasted my fucking time coming down here and this is all stupid and blah blah blah. And that's that's kind of what I was expecting. So we threw a rager and that's where I really for the first time was like oh shit our culture is real like our our, our culture is real and strong right. and. And um, then we came in the next day and we won a whole bunch of shit. And we are the ones that crafted the uh, emotion that had to happen because, again, that was the two days of the convention had only passed and only one piece of business was taken, which is the terrorist race. Um, so we had to produce a motion to basically grease the wheels and say, we've got to blast through as much business as we can tomorrow. And, and so we, 
I will go into all the details. We, we over that night, we wrote a motion to achieve that, got that passed, and and we got several victories. And everybody by the end was like, "Wow, we did a really good job." Wow, forty percent. I mean, just to put it in perspective, the delegation is like a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, a thousand fifteen people, a thousand ten people, something like that. So sixty forty. There's only like a hundred and ten people between those two, like between those two outcomes. A hundred and ten delegates. It's not much. Um, so people were overjoyed with how we've gone. And then in the time after that, I would say is where Dave has really, 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 really put skin in the game um, and taken up cause with us and put his platform on the line and put and put you know his his name on the line. That has produced sure an absolute. Yeah, that and that has produced an absolute explosion. Yeah. I mean, our our email list, like I said, we were making about at our peak, we were making about five grand a month at the time that the convention happened. We and that produced like a seventeen thousand dollar budget plus operating costs that we and and um, in the time since the convention, which was July, we're in early April now. Um, the email list has more than tripled. The we're making thirteen thousand five hundred dollars a month. Um, I'm about to go full time in under four years, going full time from jumping at any gig that came across your plate to finding and making your own to to making that your your career and your life's mission, dude. It's just so awesome. Yeah, it's it's. I kind of don't believe it, to be honest with you. It's going to take me a couple of months, I think, like of actually doing that to to uh, to believe it. But the bad news for everybody else is, I'm going to be a full time employee for basically a year leading up to the 22 convention. I mean, that's just trouble. If you couldn't and, handle Mikey Heist at his part time, he going to work <laughs> full time. Damn. Exactly. Um, our email list is tripled. I think we had like. Just using all of our metrics and our, our automations and shit like that, I think our email list of what we call potential delegates was about 400 or 500 or something going into the, the convention. We have 1,600. 1,600. Yeah. Um, Poised for a takeover, or we can call it whatever you want. The insurrection. Yeah. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't care. Talk, I don't care talking about calling it a takeover. I, I, it is a takeover. It's a libertarian takeover of the Libertarian Party that's been run like a social club. Now, is that... Basically, not- if you... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that, I I just kind of want to hit home the reason that the caucus needs to exist. Like, can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like why the party, when did it, if it got derailed or if it got corrupt or if it got, became inept, when did that happen? And, uh, so where it hit, it hit a peak in the early 2000s with Harry Brown, like Harry Brown ran twice, uh, and it hit a peak of membership and everything. Uh, in the early 2000s, um, 9/11 did a number on the party, um, and People then went to their respective blue and red corners and stuck it out there, right? Yeah, um, but then after that, the Prags actually. So what we call the Prags or the Moderates or the Milk Toasts or the listen the, up, the, listen the, up the not the the not warriors, um, you know, like those kind of people. They they took over the party themselves. Right. In 2004, um, there was an, a, an extremely uh, low-attended convention in Portland, and it's called the Portland Massacre, and that's where the, the revisionists, as opposed to the abolitionists, uh, came in and 
gutted the platform of its radicalism. Uh, and it's been on a downward spiral more or less ever since then. Like, that's where all of the really... I mean, Michael Badnarik was the last radical candidate that we had. And he was radical, but he was also pretty quirky. Like, he was a, he was a sovereign citizen, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of shit. And, um, but then after that is where we got, like, Wayne Allen Root, Bob Barr, Gary Johnson, Bill Weld. You know, they tried to do Lincoln Chafee. You know, and, right. and, and so, actually, one of the main goals, like... I, I would even say catalyst for the Mises caucus was I had a literal nightmare one night. Like I had an actual night terror of Bill Weld getting the nomination and, and being in a po- on a podium in front of like a sea of people. And, and, you know, there's all these TV cameras, like he made the debates or something. And, it, and, and it was just him being him and, and, and being like, yes, American people, this is what liberty is about. And I fucking woke up and it was like, that can't happen. That, 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 that just can't happen. Right. The word will die. The word will die. And we don't have much. Right. You know what I mean? And people can say, Oh, well, who cares about the word? Well, a lot of those people who say that also say what we were talking about earlier about how important culture is. Well, what's an important aspect of culture language. So like, if we don't have our own language, we don't have our own words. We don't have our own identity. We're not going to have a fucking culture, let alone anything else. You know what I mean? Like, and and so that was the big thing that that one of the big things that really spurred me into it. Um, and then another big thing that really spurred me into it again was Jordan Peterson. Um, I watched at the very beginning of this because for me this was at the very beginning. I, I wasn't sure what this was going to be. I didn't know if it was worth it. I didn't know if the LP was a, a vehicle, like like all this stuff. And then I watched. Jordan's Bible lectures and anybody that has not watched Jordan Peterson's Bible lectures, it's a serious time investment, but it's a, it's a very worthwhile time investment. Um, I watched those Bible lectures and I'm telling you, I'm not the same. I, I was a different person at the end of those Bible lectures than I was at the beginning of them. Um, I just realized, I, I don't know how to put it. I realized a lot of things. I reconciled a lot of things and essentially along the way I made a, a very, uh, I made a decision, I, I guess is the best way to put it, but I made a decision that the, that the, the, this whole caucus project is essentially my Abrahamic call to adventure. Like this is my, this is, this is what I have to do. That's it. And that's all. And that's it. That's, yeah. I'm doing this. And, and again, ever since I did that, the path has been opening up. I'm chasing it. It keeps opening up. And, and, yeah, it's been it's been really weird. <laughs> but it's definitely I mean it's it's all positive at this point, right? I mean it's everything's oh, yeah. up bases, it looks like. Um Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I get frustrated every once in a while with the bullshit and the haters and the screeching right. and the, the, the racist homophobe trans uh semi so much you know, like, crap. I gotta tell you, for four years I've watched these nerds call you awful names and our pals awful, awful names. And man, I guess that's why, just like Dave Smith has said, yo, when somebody goes after Tom Woods, I, I'm a pit bull. You know what I mean? I'm kind of the same way. Right. So if I, I've known you for a while, man, I know the kind of person you are. So if somebody goes after Ron Paul in the Libertarian Party, you're dead to me and I'm going to fuck you up. You know, it's, it's instant. That's, I, it's funny you should mention that. That's I was just telling somebody else today, I think it was actually, that uh, I'm like, when, when this job's done, when we, you know, 
take take control of the leadership and and start pushing our vision uh, and and scaling up our vision. That's going to be like one of my big statements of like this is all your fault. Like yeah. all you had like this is blue you, you guys you you <laughs> just all you had to do was shut up. Like like you 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 had to go and call Ron Paul a, a racist or a Nazi and all this nonsense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and and I'm just not allowing that. Like yeah. that's another motivating thing is I feel like you know Ron's 86 86 you know eight, uh, 86 years old he's you know at that age every year you get is a gift now I'm, I don't mean to be morbid he's in good health and everything but I'm just saying like every year at 86 is a gift the guy's not going to be around any uh, too much longer it's, there's going to come to a point where we don't we can't even have the debate of can we have Ron Paul at the at the national convention right you know what I mean like and 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 at that point, all that exists is his legacy. And where is that legacy going to live through? It doesn't live through the GOP. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so we have to fight for that legacy because it's a really proud one. It's yes. a really worthwhile one. Uh, and, and it's a really important one. Yeah. And we have to be, we have to be. We're the, you know, the, 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 the Ninja Turtles meme I'm sure you've seen, you know, mm, in Splinter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's, it's, it's accurate. Like, that is our responsibility, you know. Yeah, we're Ron Paul now. Look at me, yeah. uh, bro. I believe you when you say it. That's why I'm in your caucus, man. You could call this caucus whatever you want, Ron Paul caucus, Mises caucus. <laughs> I'm fucking in it, dude, because I believe you when you speak, and uh, you like I've told you before, I have faith in you, man. Um, so yeah, nobody's perfect, but I, if anyone can do it, dude, if anyone can remain. Uh, uncorrupted because you know politics is dirty um, you could do it man. well well I will say this we have already last year we had taken several state parties this year we have already taken several state parties to the point where I would say we've taken enough and, and some of them we have taken in such explosive fashion that um, the party is in a full-blown identity crisis at, at the moment um, which is good because it's 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 um, it's ugly it's ugly to watch right but uh, what you're seeing is that it's necessary because it's an identity crisis because the old identity, the old paradigm, the old way of, of running this thing is is fading away, and it's and it's 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 not going to go quietly into the night. It's going to screech racist until it's dead, and and um, and uh, that's what's happening. And as that happens, we come in, and it's not like we're coming in and. You know, we're the Soviets or some shit. Like, it's not like we're coming in and saying, all right, this is how it's going to be. Like, we do work with everybody. And what happens is, as there's so many of us now working on the ground level that they can't ignore us anymore. And there's more and more people who are interacting with us, working with us, getting signatures, doing social media with us, doing all the things. And, and they're finding out very rapidly that the, that the experience of us is very different from the narrative of us from the people who stand to lose. Mm-hmm. And... And so we're coming in, we're taking these parties, we're more productive than they were, we're bringing more people in before because we, we're, we're the first things, I mean, if you can believe this, we are the first group of people to come along and say the Libertarian Party should, be, should care about the liberty movement first and foremost. Yeah, it's crazy that they and, that, and I'm sorry I didn't know it. <laughs> Somebody had to tell yeah. me that. I didn't know that they didn't care, but they didn't. Yeah, no, they didn't. And, and in fact, again, I think it's, it's by resentment. I think the whole, I think the underlying thing here, I think if you watch their actions, it all makes sense. If you, if you think that the underlying emotional thing here is, is resentment because, you know, let me ask you, you've been in and around the movement for a while. 
um, left libertarians as they exist in the LP, if you even want to call them left libertarians. Where in the movement do they... Where, take away the LP. For, let's pretend it doesn't exist. Where else in the movement do the woke types have any respect, have any platform, have any accomplishments, have any status, or anything? Dude, that's what I'm looking for anybody. I'm looking for their thought leaders. I can't find any. I don't know. Right. It doesn't exist. So I think what's happened here is, for a number of reasons, the watering down of the message, um, a lot of people going GOP to support Ron Paul in 8 and 12, um, bad leadership, like it's just all this stuff. I think people, low status people or low accomplishment people, and, and look, I, 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 I'm not high accomplished. Like the, the, the caucus is absolutely my highest accomplishments. Um, but I'm just saying like low status people have come in and I think they feel like the big man because they, they've got a, you know, they got a room of people to vote for them and I have this position and I have status and this is the third largest party. And, hmm. and and it's just a loser I think, culture. I think this microcosm, dude, is happening in every single state chapter. Yeah, one of one of two things happens is we come in, uh, we we meet with the old paradigm, and they either fight us or they recognize because it's not it's actually not that way in every state. It's just the juiciest, funnest thing to talk <laughs> about and everything. Um, there's actually a lot of states though where we come in, we bring a lot of people. We, we encounter the old paradigm and they say, oh, wow, you've got all these people. Oh, wow, you're willing to do shit. You know, I got people who, and, and I won't name names, um, they try to pretend like they weren't haters before, but I've got, I've got people who were haters before who are now trying to get, like, said, we need to talk. Like, I, I support, I, I, you know, I support the Mises Caucus because, you know, it's, it's only Mises Caucus people that are stepping up in my state. There's people who think that the primary thing that we're doing with the party that is political and that's wrong let's talk about that and, man because that separates your caucus from the rest too hey, touch on that a little bit dude well it, again it's 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 funny because i feel like i'm the only person to hear talk use this word in this way but it really boils in my mind it, it boils down to faith it, it, it boils down to faith i think if you if you use the party as a vehicle and treat that vehicle as if the primary goal is political you almost can't be taken serious because if, if you're going to sit here and say, well, we're a political party and our, our goal is to win elections and you never win elections <laughs> and, and, and then you call that pragmatism, well, then the obviously pragmatic thing to do is vote Republican. I mean, that's that's just right. just the way it is. Yep. Um, but if you say, well, yeah, I mean, we, we yes, because we do political shit. We, we support candidates. You know what I mean? Like we have people who manage campaigns and all that shit. However... The, the political thing is not the primary value. It's the message. It's the worldview. It's the ideas. It's how do we get what we have to say and inject it into the wider culture? You know what I mean? Like, that's, I think, the really important thing because, you know, I think some people think this is like, we're, well, if we just put out the right press release, we're going to become the majority. But, uh, yeah, so I think, and, and again, it, it, it comes down to Ron Paul versus Gary Johnson, essentially. If you want to kind of get the two archetypes, what happened with Ron Paul? I mean, even listen to his origin story. He, he, he always talks about how, you know, I told my wife, you know, they, they ended Bretton Woods. I'm like, we're on a road to financial ruin and I'm going to run because I, this needs to be talked about. Nobody talks about it. And, and that was his goal. I'm going to go out there and tell the truth about this thing that nobody's talking about that's important. And his wife said, you know, don't do that. You might win. Ron laughs at her. 
then he wins because he wasn't being political. He was just trying to be himself and tell the truth. And then what happens is if you're authentic and you just put faith in what you have to say, the results end up being better than if you chase the thing. Right. You get what I'm saying? Like if you, if you, if you chase the power, why was uh, he chase so the unique votes. in that? He was so nobody else came even close to that. Obviously, because the culture so is primarily because the p- culture is pr- primarily political. You know that's and that's how they think. They think that what we're doing is politics when really it's guerrilla cultural warfare. Like yeah. like that's like that's what we're actually doing. Now I, I I'm not saying I put it this way. I believe that there's a very good chance that if we adopt what I'm saying that we could end up getting more votes than if we chase the votes. And, and I think that's exactly what you saw with Ron Paul. I mean, look what happened. Where's the Gary Johnson movement? <laughs> Larry you know what Sharp, I mean? Like Larry, where, he brought Larry in. Okay, okay, but Larry, where's the Larry Sharp movement? Fair enough. I, I like Larry. I like Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp ran a very good campaign. He grew the party in in uh, New York. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, he ran that. His primary goal, in my, in my opinion, is he wanted ballot access for New York. Now they don't have it anymore. It's gone. So what's the lasting effect? Nothing, because you treated it primarily political. Yeah. Oh, man. Would you consider... Look, I've heard a lot of talk lately about the difference, because unity is the new word, which I like too, man. There's certainly a place for that. Not for Nick Sarwark. That guy can get fucked. But (laughs) talking about... There's a difference between a blue-pilled libertarian or a bitch-ass libertarian or a prag libertarian. Like there's – I hate to throw out all these different categories, but I I hate to also paint with a broad brush and they're not all the same. And you know, I'm down to break bread with pretty much anybody except a libertarian who who shits on Ron Paul. So I've said this a lot of times. For me, the, the issue in the party is not actually primarily ideological. It's not. There's if you look at the prags, if you go to the website and you look at what the prags are offering, it's a very needed thing. Like it, it is a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. It is, it is something that needs to be filled. Like it's, it's, you know, here's how to work a CRM. Uh, here's how to uh, file to run for office. Here's how to build a campaign. Here's all like, and, and again, yes, that's political, but it is needed because again, we do political shit. We're just realistic and say, we have to focus the political stuff at the bottom right. where we actually can win maybe, and nullify the feds. Maybe the guy who can run the meeting doesn't have to be the face job too. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, so the problem isn't the prags per se. Like it's the fact that the prags leadership is extremely low character people. Yeah. It's not an ideological problem. It's a character problem. It's a it's a it's a people who never had to deal with competition don't know how to deal with competition. Like they don't compete with me. They just call me racist and think it's going to stop at some point because they've never had to deal with competition. It's their little club, right? You know what I mean? Like, and they've owned it for about fifteen years now, and and so there's no impetus on them to have to rise to the occasion, and and so. Again, I will work with anybody. I have worked with everybody. I've worked with progressive groups on shrooms. I've worked with uh, conservative groups on guns inside the party. I've worked with uh, I've worked with prags. We fund prags. We've helped prags win. We've helped rads win. You know, like and and work with them on issues. We will work with everybody with anybody that is a good character. Yeah. If you're calling me an anti semite, I don't believe that you're a good character because you're lying. And you're trying to, to you're not trying, and, and you're not saying that because you want to solve a problem, because you think I have this problem that you want to solve. You know, 
Um, because if you did that, you would approach me, you would talk to me rationally, and, and you would say, I have these thoughts and concerns, let's work it out. And then you would like, I don't know, accept what I have to say as if maybe I'm telling the truth. Right. And, and, and there's none of that with, with the, the small group of people. And again, this isn't even the majority of any of these groups. It's not. It's, it just happens to be the people who stand to lose position status and, and, and all of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I will work with that. The only exception is I will not work with socialists in the group or in the, in the party. Right. You know, that is, I, I will not do it. I will, if you want, if you're a socialist here in the party and you want me to work with you, leave the party and I'll work with you the second you leave the party. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, and, and you just can't have the name, right? This is our name. You can't have the name. <laughs> well, let me, let me, here's, here's the example I like to use for my, my thought process there. How do you think the green, so the green party wants a green future, right? Like they would, they want a green future. Um, I want a green future is different than I'm a socialist. Okay. So let's say me and you and the Mises caucus said, fuck all this LP shit. We'll own the green party tomorrow. If we just went to the green party and, right. and started saying, Hey, you want a green future? The way to do that is laissez-faire capitalism. We've got to get rid of all these regulations. We need to let the geniuses, you know, get to the market with their ideas and get capital investment as, as easy as possible. And, and, you know, they're going to build the machines that get all the plastic out of the ocean and all this shit. What do you think would happen? They would say, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Be it, that's not be a really about. good story, though, and perhaps something to consider. <laughs> but my, but, but, but my, you get my point. My yeah, point is, absolutely. they're overtly socialist. They're overtly right. not in line. I mean, there's certain part overlap, of me thinks like it's a criminal huge, justice. They think part of me thinks it's a huge troll. Like, if they can, can you imagine the pleasure that they would get out of like a group of people built a thing, and here comes this group that just siphoned off all the energy that right. they created and used their ballot access and used all their shit. Right. Well, the point that I'm making here is what is a coalition? What, what, like what, how does a coalition get built? It doesn't get built, but like, so I would say a coalition gets built. So like, and, and I've actually had these conversations with like shroom people, you know, because that's a very progressive movement. Um, you, you build a coalition by two people not coming together blindly, but you have to come together being very honest and upfront and accepting of who you are, what you are, what your differences are, and, and setting that aside because we agree on this one issue. Maybe not even for the same reason, but we do agree on this issue. Um, and basically say, I'm not trying to change you. You are not changing me. And, and that's okay. Yeah. That is a little bit different from saying, I'm going to join the Libertarian Party and say I'm a socialist. I'm going to run for chair. I'm going to try to seize control of the, of the messaging and, and all of that and, and basically force my bullshit down the throat of something that is opposed to what I am. And that's, that's what I mean when I say, like, what if we join the Green Party? Right. You know what I mean? Like, we don't belong there. That's not who we are. It's a, diff it's a completely different culture, a completely different worldview. We don't belong there. What so do you, why would we what do, do it? you think's wrong in our uh, bylaws or in our perhaps it's the culture or just we're too uh, open and it's, inclusive? It's culture more than so. No, we're, it's, we're, it's the culture more than everybody. Say, in 2018, we had a an open communist or libertarian socialist on. The, he's a communist. Okay, yeah, he, he is, is a now, communist. So he was on the stage competing to chair the the party as a communist. Right. So how did that, how did that happen? It, to me, it's it's more it's it's what I was. It, well, there's a few ways that it happened, but um, it all boils down to a loser a loser mentality. Um, basically, some people thought it was funny because you had like prags, and and to their credit, it worked. 
But like you had some prags that voted to put him on the debate stage to fuck with Josh. And they thought that was funny. You know what I mean? Like, instead of saying, no, like, we're going to be on, on uh, C-SPAN, like, we actually care about what we believe, and we care that other people see that we're about liberty, you know, and, and we can't have this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that, like, that's part of it. The and, and the other part of it is there's no standards. You know what I mean? Like, there's no standards. Like, it's, it's I'll take anybody. I don't care if you're a communist if you just get these signatures. Right. Just get the signatures, and and you can be anything, um, unless you unless you want to take you know run for leadership position, and I don't agree with you, then you're an anti semite. But but um, but you know if you stay in line and you're a communist and you support the status quo, um, you know we'll take anybody. That's it right there. That it, it's it's this desperation for quantity quantity over quality, which again kind of goes back to the whole vote chasing versus tell the truth thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's... it's they'll, they'll sit here and tell you, Gary Johnson's the greatest thing that happened in this party. He got 4.3 million votes. And that's true. It's true. It is the biggest number of votes. Where are they at, votes. right? Where are they at? Where they yeah. At? Even... It only raised, like, 7,000 members, of which there's less than 2,000. It might even be less than 1,000 left. Um, the less than 2,000 figure was the number at the beginning of last year. Right. I don't know what that number is now, but they raised, they brought in like seven or eight thousand. It was sixteen hundred as of March of nineteen or March of twenty, and it could be less now. So they're gone. And then we put in a libertarian. Now Jorgensen, I think Jorgensen deserves some credit. Like I, I do think Jorgensen. I, I'm well aware of all the problems and the messaging problems and, and the blue pill and, and all that stuff. Totally agree. However, I do think Jorgensen represents significant forward progress because before we were we were we were blue pilled and either not libertarian or barely libertarian. Yeah. Now we're blue pilled and libertarian. Yeah. So we're back. And we got back. Spike Cohen with 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 JoJo. Yes, too. I think that's amazing. Yes, and and Spike has turned into a star. The likes that the, I, I'm not saying he's reached the heights that Harry Brown reached, but he's he's yet. But um, he's the star. Like. Stars don't emerge out of the party. Who are all the libertarian stars? It's Ron Paul, it's Thomas Massey, it's Justin Amash, it's, right. you know, like, all of this stuff. People who are Republicans, you know, party-wise, he anyway. He came out of the party, um, yeah. That's special. He came out of the party. And, and, and the only stars that, we, that, in, that I can remember that ever came out of the party, or at least in modern history, is Harry Brown. After him, the closest thing was Larry Sharp. And, and now I would say Spike has reached heights that Larry did not reach. I don't think he's reached quite Larry Brown levels. But, um... He could. He's young. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much a regular contributor on Kennedy at this point. I mean, right? It's great. It's really great. Right. So yeah, basically, we want we want quantity versus quality, and and um, I'm saying that the base is the most important thing, and we don't treat it that way. We treat the base like we have the word libertarian in the name. If you don't like it, it's on you. We don't have to treat you like a customer. You're the problem. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And that's why we're getting the, the reaction that we're getting because the movement actually, the, the movement wants a libertarian party that I can be proud of. Yeah, I know it does. Trust me. That's why I'm here with you, man. Since we're on Spike, the first time I was introduced to him was through Vermin Supreme, um, who I think is 
really fascinating. And if I got the chance to smoke a joint with him, I'd really enjoy it. And I think he's cool. And I love that he's bringing attention to the party. I've smoked a joint with him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you get to do all the cool shit. I want to party with you. <laughs> Um, but my question is, and it's no offense to him, man, because like I said, I think he's fucking awesome and really creative. I love people like that. But um, some people uh, didn't think it was that cool that he rose no. to prominence within the party like he did and ran for president and kind of some of the same overlap with some of the socialists running his crowd. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, how you thought that, that was. I like, I like, Ver I very much so like Vermin the person. I don't like Vermin the representative. Um because basically, I I will say I do feel some like kindred spirits there. Yeah. Because I think I think what fueled a lot of the vermin thing is is it's almost like like Bernie supporters where it's like you got some of the problems right, you're pointing out the right problems, but goddamn the prescription is terrible. <laughs> like like right. basically what they're saying is we've watered down. Yes, we've moderated. Yes, we've been mainly political. Yes. So then let's make ourselves a complete fucking joke right. as the counter response to that. And right. it's like, burn it down. Just, yeah, it's, it's nihilistic. Yeah. And, um, I don't think he would agree with that characterization, but that's, that's how I see it because, um, and, but I think there's, there's evidence that I'm, I'm right. And I think it's all in the numbers because, um, Vermin Supreme, you might be able to make an argument that, that Vermin's reach was more than all of the other candidates put together. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm just going to go, I, I don't know that that's true. I'm just going to accept that proposition. Let's assume that's true. Why didn't that produce a great increase in membership? That's not to say that he bought nobody, but it wasn't, it wasn't as many members as Jacob Hornberger brought, and Jacob Hornberger probably had, he might not have even been second largest reach. Pool, pool is more important than reach. So if you have massive reach to an incompatible audience, you might as well not reach anybody. If you have small reach to a very compatible audience and the pool is strong, that is going to be more effective than the wide reach. And, and Hornberger, Hornberger, he might not be the most well-known or the most popular member of the club. But make no mistake, he is a member of the club. He has been friends personally with Judge Knapp for 30 years. He has been friends personally with Ron Paul for 30 years, with Lou Rockwell for 30 years. You know, freedom, the Future of Freedom Foundation has been around for like 30 years. He was writing for Fee before that. He is a staple in this movement. Yeah. That's why. That's why. Like, he was pulling the, some of the older elements of the movement in. Hornberger destroyed all of the straw polls. Yeah. And, and you can say, well, that's not the delegate. That doesn't matter. And there's a certain element of truth in that. But it matters if you're looking at which way the wind's blowing in the parties. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, uh, so that much was true. He really did bring, Hornberger brought in something like 1,500 people on 60 grand. Joe Jorgensen brought in something like 3,000 members on, what was it, 3 million? Ooh. And then that's why they have to do this ridiculous arguments of like, well, if you look at the price per vote, it was a smash <laughs> hit. Ever. I mean, only an idiot can't recognize that. And, and, uh, and again, it just goes into this, what is the primary value? Is it the votes or is it the people? Right. So the, obviously the big thing is 2022. That is, that is going to be the Alamo. I think, <laughs> I think the, 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 the dying screeches of the old paradigm are going to hit 
their high but last thing right there. Um, so we we are mobilizing right now along several domains. We're really focusing on state conventions. Uh, we've taken several states. Some of them were takeovers. Some of them were welcomes. You know, like Oklahoma was a welcome. Uh, uh, Kentucky was a welcome. New Jersey was a welcome. Uh, you know, Washington was last year, but we completely took over Washington. Uh, Kentucky was a, seemed like a welcome for the most part. Uh, I just said that already. Connecticut, I mean, um, was a welcome. New Hampshire was a takeover. <laughs> Pennsylvania is going to be a takeover. Um, That's your home state. How's that one looking, man? You th- you feel pretty confident? I feel very good. You feel very good. Yeah, I feel very. I feel very good. Um, I don't want to drop numbers or anything like that. All good. And and leave any breadcrumb trails for for any rats to pick up. We so we have our event. It's got Dave Smith. It's got Jeff Dice. It's got uh, Scott Horton. Like it's got a whole bunch of people. And um, we made that event free for LPPA members, meaning we're losing money on the event, but. It's a membership drive. It's awesome, man. And it takes members to vote in conventions. Let's just say that. Um, and it's working very well. It's 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 the, the concept that we were going for there for the membership drive is working very well. Um, they're taking credit for the growth, but that's okay. Um, and so I feel very good about Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a uh, a top four delegate states or state. Um, New Hampshire was a huge morale victory, like a morale boost victory, uh, with what happened with Sarwark there. And just the fact that that's kind of one of Vermin's stomping grounds, you know, and, and, you know, we took control of the majority of that board. Nevada is going to be a lot of fun to watch. That is another one that I feel extremely good about. Um, Michigan is going to go very well. Uh, I think you guys got a good thing going on in Delaware. I think we got a good thing going on in Idaho. Uh, I think we got a very good thing going on in Utah. Um, uh, we have the buddings. I was hoping that it would happen this year, but it's not going to happen this year. We've got the, the beginnings of a very good thing in Wisconsin. Um, again, we missed the convention uh, by a little bit this year, but Arizona looks very good. Um, and when you consider, again, that, that the, the difference between 60-40 and 20-20 is it's something like 110 meaning the win number is half plus one, 56. Nice. You know, we're taking all these states, got 1,600 potential or interested delegates. We're making 14, well, sorry, we're making 13,500 a month. I'm going to be working full-time starting June 1st. I feel pretty good. Uh, I, I feel pretty good. Um, we have we have Angela uh, McArdle running for chair, of the national party. She is fantastic. Um, and she is doing better tenacious and and, and she's, she's doing great work that people can see. And she's doing even better work that people can't see. I believe it. Like with all of the, all of the connections and the networks that she's making, the donors that I think are going to come in after she assumes control, um, you know, all of that stuff, the, the messaging that's going to start coming out, which is going to signal a cultural shift in and of itself. Um, that's, that's a big thing. We're also mobilizing along the issues. You know, people are really getting, uh, getting into this whole COVID passport thing. We didn't even get to talk about that, but I guess it's too bad. Um, you know, we've got issue websites up. 
we got emails coming in through them uh, that we're mobilizing. We're real big in the psychedelic decrim stuff. We're big into the Second Amendment sanctuary stuff. Got Brianna's Law. We got people who were doing the uh, Defend the Guard Act. Like we got a guy who got Brianna's Law and Defend the Guard getting ready to get introduced into the state legislature in Maine. Harrison Kemp. I mean, Maine's another one um, that we that we took. Um, it's 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 crazy, dude. We're, I'm at a point. We're at a point now where we have our week or our monthly team meetings. Um, and basically I start off the meeting saying to the, something to the effect of, tell me the good news of your states. And then that conversation unrolls organically for 40 minutes. That's great. And just random people, random people. I'm in Maine and I'm killing it this way. I'm in Jersey and we got to defend the guard. And, and I, I, you know, I'm in California and we're making a documentary and it's submitted into a film festival and, and I've got 40 people coming to my meetings. Holy shit. Okay. And, and it's just, it's, it's. It's beautiful, dude. What, it's it's beautiful, and and again, one of the big picture ideas that we were going for here is is Ron initiated a a positive feedback loop with his bravery, with his courage, with his character, with his truth. Um, however, that feedback loop was always destined to die because it was one man, one campaign. Um, so in my mind, the trick here is. If you can get that feedback loop going again, but this time under the guise of an organization, it never has to die. There's no end. You know what I mean? Like, there's no end. It could just go out of control exponentially. And that's what appears to be happening. Yeah, it does appear to be happening, man. Oh, it's amazing. Um, all right. We'll go ahead and get out of here. But before we do, man, just real quick, tell the people why they should not sit on the sidelines, why they should take human action, and then let's hear where we can get the merch, get sign up, do all that stuff. They should they should sign up and they should not sit on the sidelines because if we don't, I think we're entering a very dark time. I mean, the COVID, we, we, we probably should have talked about the COVID passport stuff, but COVID passport stuff is very crazy. Um, it's, it's the beginning of a bigger system. This isn't just papers, please, for your, for your COVID vaccine. This is a system of being able to track somebody's, all of their medical history that, that any other, any other organization can be plugged into. And then they have it. And then that, that back end of that system can then start to incorporate if they ever wanted to your financial records and then your travel history and, and the, 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 everything. And then they've got all of you and and they can turn you off. So that's that's what I think. Alex Jones was right. Of course, <laughs> he was right about like most shit. Most shit, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Most like shit. he was right about yeah. And um, I was honestly, dude, I would still, I wish, I wish he would stop producing the show and just produce documentaries. I would, I would still to this day uh, recommend his documentaries to everybody, especially the police state documentaries. Yeah. Um, with the with the way things are going, Endgame they're old and shit, but Endgame was rad. Terror Storm was rad. Um, uh, Matrix of Evil for nine eleven truth. <laughs> that shit was. Uh, with the super corny music, but um, but yeah, man, we're enter. I mean, trillions of dollars are being printed up. Gun control uh, is on the table from from the executive branch. Uh, what was it? Two or three trillion dollars in tax increases uh, being looked at. Uh, COVID passports. I mean, we're 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 entering into a, a time that I don't, I don't know what the other side of it is going to look like if it just goes unabated. Yeah. It can't go unabated. And do I think that we're going to like, oh, well, we're going to take over the federal government and we're going to stop it and all that shit? No, I don't. But I do think that we can we can get the remnant together. 
I think through that remnant we can we can uh, get enough decentralization as to create bastions, and I think we can and and I think through those bastions we can start to create real freedom and rebuild whatever's going to come after all of this. Because when you're talking two trillion dollars are being printed up at a time, when you're talking about three trillion dollars in new tax increases, when when the economy has been just absolutely devastated, uh, lumber and production goods are all shooting up. Uh, the, the, the supply of like all kinds of technological goods, um, uh, like PlayStations are gone. Uh, graphics cards are gone. Uh, uh, chips like processing processors are gone. Like there's still shortages. We're seeing more sh shortages. The price of food is going up. Like all of this crazy stuff is going on and it's all happening together. And the, the two things that really scare me are the combination of executive gun, the, the combination of executive gun measures mixed with the COVID passport stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I mean, you're talking like you want to disarm me and have me give you papers. And we're not allowed to say that that sounds kind of like the Nazis. Right. Get out of my face. Exactly. That sounds a lot like the Nazis. That sounds a lot, a lot like the Nazis. Yeah. yeah and, and, uh, and I don't care what you think. I care about not having that happen. I just have so much respect for people who. I'll take your tagline, man, who take human action, build something, force their way in. And it's just been so beautiful to watch, dude. I'm so grateful. It's part of the reason I'm doing this right right now, taking you know my own human action. And dude, I really appreciate it, brother. And on behalf of all me cops out there, dude, <laughs> the thousands of us, man, thank you so much. Yo, everybody, go to lpmesescaucus.com. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to go. Sign up. Donate some money if you can. Buy some merch. Misesmerch.com. Is that right? That's right. Misesmerch.com. Dude, you got some great stuff in there. That Ron Paul, Be Brave. Be like the We need ones. more, but yeah. You got, yeah, get some more stuff. I've seen the baby onesies in there. You guys are crushing it with those. Seen some <laughs> Mike, I really appreciate your time, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. Guys, I'll see you next time on Dave versus Goliath. Peace.